All right, we're pleased to be joined for the first time by Zach Goodall, who covers the Florida Gators for Sports Illustrated over at allgators.com. Does a tremendous job down there covering year one of the Billy Napier era. And you can follow Zach on Twitter at Zach underscore, underscore Goodall. Thanks for joining me, Zach. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, first time, like you said, and I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, and, and kind of like I was just saying with you off air, man, anytime I put out something about the Florida Gators right now, uh, these fans just gobble it up. So I can only imagine the traffic you guys are getting over there at uh, allgators.com. But can you sense that anticipation? I mean, I know Dan Mullen for a time was a good coach, but hey, that's that's buried and done with. It's time for the Gators to rise again. Are you seeing that anticipation down there in Gainesville? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, with Dan Mullen, you know, people were really excited because we saw about a good decade of Gator football that wasn't Gator football, at least <laughs> what people were used to at that point. And he came in and, you know, he took a roster that people thought were pretty depleted or was pretty depleted and immediately turned it into a winner, not an SEC championship winner necessarily, but, you know, a respectable team that could win big games. And uh, but the wheels fell off. You know, there was there was tension. There were butting of heads, uh, to say the least, between, you know, players and staff issues with recruiting and things just weren't really a well-oiled machine there by the end. And, you know, there's been some up and downs within the athletic administration as to handling coaching changes, but I'll give Scott Strickland some credit here. He found his guy in Billy Napier, someone that was coveted for quite a while across really, you know, the whole SEC, the power five as a up and coming coach. And he's come in and he has really introduced some structure, um, introducing a little adversity to the players and really testing them. And the players are not only responding to it well, but the fans certainly seem to be as well. Yeah, and I know camp just started. I mean, you've only been to, what is it, one practice, and there's been multiple press conferences, but only one so far for spring. But what's your early read on Billy Napier and uh, what he's going to bring to this program in addition to the adversity you mentioned there? And I'm sure you've seen it. All the Gator fans keep tagging me about uh, he's got the best staff hiring. I mean, all these rankings of, of recruiting uh, or, excuse me, ranking of the, the staff hires got him at uh, the top of the list. So uh, what's your main takeaways of the Billy Napier era so far? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been different stages to it. And that's another point to, you know, the structure that he's bringing. They they increased their on-field staff pool by about $1.5 million as well as their off field. I don't know the exact number on there, but I believe it is the biggest in the SEC, if not all of college football. I mean, I think he said yesterday that the total amount of participants in spring practice, when you include on-field coaches, off-field coaches, grad assistants to videographers, 200 people. So there's there are people overseeing just about every single player individually here. And I think that's really important as you're rebuilding a program and its morale, not just its football team, uh, but from the ground up and you've seen similar stuff with, uh, with recruiting, they, they put a lot more effort into that. I think that, you know, the recruiting spending, not, you know, paying players, but the, what they're putting in, in terms of efforts and getting the right people in the building to recruit people from different areas, it immediately paid dividends. I mean, two weeks on the job and he pulled, I forget the exact numbers, but I think Dan Mullen in his tenure here pulled four top 100 players, five top 100 players in four years. Napier pulled in three off the bat within two and a half weeks. So you can see the structure paying off there. 
it's the same thing with the offseason program. They've got this eight-phase um, program, and they're in phase three right now. And players have really seemed to buy into it. And, and it comes down to creating a people-oriented environment, as Billy Napier is like to say. You didn't really see that with Mullen. You saw someone that commanded respect as a head coach in, in a lot of ways deserved it because on the field, you know, he could out-scheme you, at least offensively, as well, if not better than anyone in college football. That demands respect itself. But the little things, right? The the players were complaining about their meals and you know getting ticketed every day for parking when they'd go to the facility because it wasn't an ideal setup. Within a month, that's fixed. And little things like that can go a long way. And it's it's pretty cool to see a coach come in and care about those little things because each step of the way, the little things to the big things matter when you're rebuilding a program. Yeah, so safe to say it's uh, recruiting season all the time down there in Gainesville <laughs> under old Billy Napier. But uh, let me ask you this because, you know, I think uh, if, if memory serves, even after Georgia won the national championship, I mean, he gave a little shout out to Kirby. I mean, he seems like they're pretty tight. Uh, is that going to be weird, do you think, that uh, Florida and Georgia, their coaches, you know, I'm sure they're not best friends or anything, but seems like they are friendly, of course, that could all change in a hurry after a, a one season going head to head. It'll certainly be a bit different because if you look at the Georgia game this past year with Florida, uh, Kirby Smart gets on the mic, talks for a minute and a half without saying Dan Mullen's name about how Dan Mullen's a bad recruiter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not really expecting something similar with Napier. I do think there's a level of respect there. Uh, they were able to work together. They have ties through, you know, the king himself, Nick Saban, as Billy Napier was with Saban for about four or five years in his earlier coaching career. And I think those ties are really important, too. I think that Saban's got a lot of respect for Napier. And as a result, you might see a trickle down across the SEC of coaches having respect for Napier. At this point in time, I know it's early, but which side of the ball is a bigger question mark with the Gators right now, the offense or the defense in your mind? I think it's a bit of a coin flip. Um, Just there's a lot of youth across this team. They brought back some guys on COVID years, um, medical red shirts and such, and they're going to have leadership at certain positions. You know, inside linebackers, the first one I think of on defense with Ventrell Miller coming back another year. He's been a staple in this defense for several years. Um, But then you look, Jason Marshall, who was a freshman corner who rotated last year and was a standout, no doubt, but he's already their cornerback number one. They've got a lot of questions at cornerback, you know, it, the, the same can be said at safety. They've got to replace two starters on the defensive line and four or five contributors in that unit as a whole who got solid playing time last year. Uh, you look to the offense as well. It was a run-oriented attack. It's exactly what Napier wants to do. In his career at Louisiana, it was basically, a, I think, a 60-40 split run to pass. They want to run the ball, and they just lost two running backs to the NFL draft. So they've got, you know, ground to make up there. The offensive line was really, really underdeveloped and just not well recruited during the Dan Mullen era. That's something that's, you know, especially in the class of 2023, a full recruiting cycle, that's they're putting all of their focus into that. I've not seen them recruit a position harder than offensive tackle specifically. Mm -hmm. But then if I had to pick one, I think it's offense because you have questions at quarterback. And they've got talent there. You know, they brought Emory Jones back, who started last year to some fans displeasure, but I, I commend the kid for coming back and enduring this and trying to improve as a player, also offering them a camp arm in the idea that the guy that's viewed as the future starter is Anthony Richardson. He didn't know he was going to be able to practice until Monday because he had torn his meniscus at the end of last year and had to undergo surgery. At worst, Emory Jones is going to be a camp arm for them because they didn't expect Richardson to be back. 
he is back now. He was surprisingly able to give it a full go on Tuesday and should be good for the rest of spring. And people are excited there. But regardless, you know, there's rust to shake off. There's development that he still needs to go through. Same thing as Emory Jones and same thing as Ohio State transfer Jack Miller mm-hmm. uh, as they learn a new offensive system, too. So I'd have to say offense just because of quarterback. But really, this is a roster that's got talent. It's just it's going to take some time for it to really build upon its strengths and address its weaknesses. Now, do you think there's a realistic scenario here where Emory Jones plays a significant role with the team next season? And, you know, I I thought it was pretty interesting that, uh, you know, they both spoke with the media yesterday. And I mean, this seems like a full fledged competition, even though, like you said, some people look at Anthony Richardson as uh, clearly the guy, but hey, he's not been able to stay healthy. If he is healthy, I mean, he may be one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC, but you can't overlook the experience factor with Emory Jones either. So uh, where do you see that? And again, I know it's very early, but do you think Emory Jones could seriously factor in by the time fall ro- rolls around? Not as of now, just because I've seen, uh, they've both gotten a lot of praise from their coaches and you'd expect nothing less, but there's a bit of a different vibe when it comes to, you know, Napier, Napier talking about Richardson. He says that, you know, this was his first opportunity to see him throw live yesterday, or I guess on Tuesday. And he immediately said, you know, there's a good reason why people see a special talent here. And like you said, he, when he's at full health, you know, he's a 240 pound quarterback that can run 20 plus miles an hour guy that can zip it down the field. Unlike we've seen from Florida's offense, at least since Felipe Franks, and he wasn't a great quarterback, but he sure had a cannon. Um, I personally, as of now, injuries aside, I would think that this is Richardson's job for the taking. But it is a really, you know, smart thing to not only have Jones, but to bring in a Jack Miller to sign another quarterback in the class of 2022 and Max Brown. And then they've got two redshirt freshmen as well with Anthony's uh, injury history with Jones's inconsistencies last year. I think they wanted to have as many camp arms as they can get. And with everyone having a clean slate, even, even if Anthony Richardson's the betting favorite, the staff is only going to analyze what they see in practice and scrimmages from here on out. I don't think they're going to be looking too much to the past to determine who their guy will be. Are you surprised at all that, uh, you know, when we see these like lists of top quarterbacks in the SEC, it, it certainly seems this point in time, everyone's overlooking Anthony Richardson. Does that surprise you at all, given his immense talent and, and just what little we've seen of him? I mean, he, he looks incredible when he's fully healthy. Yeah. I'd imagine that's what, what's doing it is the injuries. Cause last year, um, Apparently his hamstring injury, which he tweaked in the second week of the year, it was something that had nagged him for some time before that. He saw it come up throughout the year. And then against Georgia, he finally gets his start. Florida fans are all excited. He goes down at halftime with a concussion. And then a week or two later, he injures his knee, not too badly, but enough to at least sideline him in practice. Against FSU, he tears his meniscus. So there's at least concerns that I don't want to necessarily say he's injury prone because behind, besides the hamstring, it wasn't really a reoccurring thing with one particular injury. Mm-hmm. But when you're missing that much time and a meniscus tear is nothing to joke about either, you know, people might start to write you off. So with that being said, he, he definitely has quite a bit to prove as this offseason program goes on, but you, you can't deny the talent. Now you hit on the, the offensive line and what a question mark that's been the last couple of years, uh, but they've added two transfers from Louisiana that of course, Billy Napier is going to know well and Cameron Watts and, and Cyrus Torrance. And I th- I'm sure you've seen it. Chris Lowe's got Torrance as a preseason, all American. So 
you know, how big are these two additions potentially? Uh, should they be day one starters, which you have to kind of assume at this point, if they put in the work, they, they will be. Yeah, Waits, um, he he might be more of a long-term development guy, but that is a big boy. <laughs> he is he is like six foot eight, 360 something. He's a guy that you want to get your hands on and develop. Um, as for Torrance, he, you know, it's it's correct. It, it's more than fair to be putting him in there as a potential preseason All-American. In his three years at Louisiana, and he started every game since his true freshman season, he has yet to allow a sack in his college career. And Florida's offensive line, even though it wasn't perfect, in the Kyle Trask era, the two years there at Florida football, they pass protected well. Mm-hmm. Last year, not so much. It became a better run-blocking unit. They're going to want to improve as pass protectors. And you got one of the best guys you could have gotten to come in and immediately bolster your pass protection. So I think he he can immediately and probably will immediately start at right guard. Um, it should have a bit of an effect as to what happens on the right side of the line because Joshua Braun, former Georgia commit, highly rated guy, he was one of the few offensive linemen Florida did land under Mullen that was pretty impressive. I think he could slide to tackle as a result of this. He does have experience there from high school. Um and I'm, I've been impressed with Braun when he's taken the field in his Florida career too. So that's probably the questionable side. They are returning three starters from left tackle to center. Uh, you want to see improvement there, but at least there's experience. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how the right side goes, but they at least have potential and in Torrance, a proven guy to come in there and play immediately. Do you think this is the year the, the running back to Marcus uh, Bowman finally has his breakout year now that uh, there should be plenty of carries to go around this, this season in Gainesville? Absolutely. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the first team, second team necessarily looks like, especially first camp in, but it was worth noting, you know, all the reps we did see yesterday, it looked as though Bowman was getting action with the first team guys, you know, with Anthony Richardson, with that first team line, uh, again, from what we were allowed to see. Um, and, and he's a special talent. He's a top 50 running back recruit of all time. Um, and there's a good reason for it. He's got one cut and go speed that no other Florida back has. That being said, another Louisiana transfer, Montrell Johnson, he could definitely factor into the rotation as well. He was the Sun Belt uh, freshman of the year last year, scoring 12 touchdowns as a freshman. It'll be different for sure. The, the talent level and who will be running against will be a bit different. But I think that that's who Florida is confident is maybe a one-two punch, at least as they get things underway. Mm-hmm. And how big of an impact do you expect uh, the five-star freshman Kamari Wilson to make given the fact that, uh, you know, there's, there's a hole there at the corner position opposite Jason Marshall. And you got Corey Raymond now as a, as a secondary coach. And he's got a long, long track record of getting these guys ready to play year one. Uh, are you expecting big things from Wilson this this season? Yeah, no doubt. They've, um, they've got him currently at safety and I could see him going in between safety and maybe the star nickel position. Uh, I would go back. I got to see him a few times at IMG Academy, and he was a guy that you wanted to play a bit closer to the box. You know, he's athletic, he's rangy, he can drop in coverage, but boy, is he physical and and he understands run fits really well. And they've got, you know, even though they've got two starters at safety, it's a position that could use a bit of um, a boost in talent and playmaking ability. And I think he could drop back some there, but at star, they don't really have a ton of answers. Trevez Johnson started there last year and was certainly up and down. They have a former Juco transfer in Jadarius Perkins, who has definitely flashed a lot as a coverage guy, not so much an early down star. Kamari could very well put himself in the competition to play star, at least 
you know, as a tackler, as a run fitter to play early downs and make an impact because that's exactly what they'll be looking for at the position. Now, aside from Wilson, and again, I understand it's very early, but any uh, other freshmen that you would anticipate making uh, an impact here with the Gators year one? Potentially. Uh, they had three early enrollees come in, and another one is Chris McClellan um, over on our Sports Illustrated All-American rankings. He was another top 100 player. Um, he comes in, he, he's got some work to do with his body, but he's a pure power rusher. And like I mentioned earlier, I think they lost four to maybe five interior defensive linemen, whether to the draft or they graduated and were out of eligibility. They need depth you know, really badly, even if he's not necessarily someone that would come in and start or take on a meaningful role, there's going to be a path for him to getting snaps just because he's a big body who can get it done at this level. Um, and they need the depth really badly. He could certainly step in and help there. All right. Last thing for you, Zach. Now I know you're deep in the camp mode. You're covering, you know, every angle that's going on there in Gainesville, but guys like me, what we do, we sit here and look at the schedule and talk, you know, how the Florida Gators are going to start under Billy Napier and man it's rugged right out the gate utah just went to the rose bowl that's week one at home kentucky at home again but this could be the best kentucky team under mark stoops and then i'm a tennessee grad so i know how it goes every three years this is the year for the vols again we're in that cycle so at tennessee week four uh this is setting up to be a rough rough start for the gators but uh our fans and maybe even yourself what are your expectations Again, I know it's very, very far out, but what are your expectations? Look at those first three games. Uh, do you think the Gators come out of that with a, a winning record right out the gate? Yeah, I tend to be a bit of a pessimist when it, um, when it comes to first-year coaches and their schedules. And then, yeah, this is not an easy slate to begin <laughs> things. Um, I've kind of pegged Florida as, you know, if they can get to seven or eight wins in this first year, considering the roster turnover. I mean, it has been drastic because it was such an underwhelming roster this past year, I would view eight wins as quite a success. And with that being said, you know, fans will be livid if they drop their first two games of the year, but that, that could happen. They, these are good teams in Utah. Like you said, in Kentucky, I've got my eyes on Tennessee to be a really good team this year as well. And I'm not trying to suggest Florida will drop all three of those games. I think that with the adversity they're facing with the structure of their offseason program, the strength coach yesterday, he quoted um, as best he could Michael, uh, Michael Jordan um, about practice. You know, you want to practice so hard that the games seem easier. If they truly, you know, if they can get to that level of comfort with the team, then maybe they pull off a surprise win, if you're willing to call it that, against one of those three uh, first big teams, maybe two of them. Um, but it won't be easy. I could see them coming out of that with maybe – two wins and a loss, maybe one win and two losses out of those first five games or three games, I guess, of power five. Obviously they've got South Florida and Eastern Washington in there as kind of buffers, which should help, but it won't be easy. Well, trust me, Zach, if everybody's picking the balls against the Florida Gators, the Gators are a lock. So you got that going. <laughs> <laughs> but no I, doubt. I, I do appreciate you, Zach Goodall. Give him a follow at Zach underscore Goodall and check out all the outstanding work he's doing for Sports Illustrated over at all Gators. Dot com. Thank you so much, Zach. I really appreciate it. Thank you.